MailChimp presents. Clusters aren't always a bad thing. Like a cluster of stars in the night sky, or those crunchy little clusters in your cereal. But you know what's never good? A clustomer. A clustomer is what happens when marketers group customers with very different behaviors into one big messy audience. Like when someone receives a new customer coupon code, but they're already an existing customer. Intuit MailChimp can help. They offer email marketing personalization tools that help marketers send product recommendations and discounts based on behavior data, turning your customers back into the unique customers that they are. Intuit MailChimp, the number one email marketing and automations brand. Based on competitor brands' publicly available data on worldwide number of customers in 2021 and 2022. Oh, hi there, friend. You're listening to Call Paul, and I'm Paul Jarvis. I've run a handful of small companies over the last few decades, and I wrote a book about intentionally growing a business called Company of One. Currently, I'm the co-founder of Fathom, a privacy-focused website analytics company. One aspect of gate crashing is that sometimes a gate can serve as a real barrier to inclusivity. So, if you aren't seeing a space for you or the people like you to exist and feel comfortable in, you can literally just invent it. In this season of Call Paul, we're exploring what happens when small business owners do the right thing and succeed financially, because I know from experience how complimentary they can be. Fashion, it should be the tool to make it easier for people to be themselves. And for whatever reason, <laughs> it's been exclusive for far too long. And like for our customers, like still to this day, we have people that come into like our little sort of store setup and they'll leave in tears because it's like for the first time in their lives, somebody sees them for who they are. That's Adele Renault, co-founder and product developer of Podaloo in Vancouver. They're a clothing company who makes clothes for bodies, not for gender. The company started because they quickly realized there weren't any brands challenging gender norms in fashion. So they made their own. And as you'll hear, this isn't just about designing a simple button-down shirt. It's about helping people feel the same way on the outside as they do on the inside. Well, I'm French Canadian. I was born in Calgary, Alberta and moved to BC when I was like in grade four or five, I think. And my grandmother, my mamia, was like a very instrumental part of my life. I think when I was really young, she was like one of those people who just kind of saw me for who I was and gave me the confidence while I was growing up to be myself. And so when I started the company, it was sort of a nod to her and my French heritage. And it sort of means wolf skin, but we take it as a wolf in sheep's clothing. So menswear tailored for a woman's body. Can you describe your office, the physical space and the vibe that it has? We're in East Vancouver. We're sandwiched in between two garment factories that have been there for... 30 plus years. They're two family operated businesses. Across the street from us, we have Blackbird Fabrics, which is really fun and uh, a great inspiration for us. And our space itself is an old uh, car mechanic shop that we <laughs> sort of renovated for ourselves. We have 
a fun uh, photo studio downstairs. We've created sort of like a little nook for a shop in our garage area. Upstairs, we have a workspace and a designer kind of corner where we carry all of our samples and fabrics. It's bustling with our two warehouse people, Rena and Joanna, and upstairs filled with my partner, Alana, and uh, Daisy, who's our graphic designer, and Lucy, who is our accountant, and she works from home but pops in every so often. And it's fun. We always have music. There's always laughter. And we're always working very hard and wearing lots of hats. <laughs> so your job title is co-founder. Is that accurate? What does that mean to you? I'm a brand builder. I love building products and I've sort of found myself in this role of growing into sort of a strategic leader. So right now, yes, I am the founder and CEO of, it's called Noble Motives Collective. In that collective, we have two brands. So there's Kaposhi, which has 10 brick and mortar locations across Western Canada. And then there's Podaloo, which is primarily all e-commerce and that brand we build clothing for bodies, not gender. A lot of fashion brands make their start in retail, and it doesn't seem like that was the path for Potaloo. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because you said it's primarily an e-commerce brand, right? So how did that come about? Growing up, I was a tomboy and I was really, I was hyper aware that I was different. I didn't really fit in. So in 2012, at the time I was working in manufacturing with big factories and companies and I was helping produce, you know, billions of garments. And it just sort of hit me that everything I was making, nothing was for people like me. So when I went to my friends, the idea was simple. I said, let's just make some non-binary clothing for people like us. Our product you know, was clothing, but the purpose was really inclusivity. We wanted to build a brand that stood for something. We wanted to be cheeky in the way we connected with our customer and really include our community and build a product that was classic and have a message that was strong. Because to us, it was so much more than building a button down. It was about creating something authentic that, you know, makes people feel the same way on the outside as they do on the inside. And there were no brands or products caring to people like us. And, you know, traditionally clothing was built off, you know, a binary fit and sizing system. And the result was that if you wore something like us, nothing fit you. So we didn't fit into any molds in retail. Because I was working in manufacturing, I started out by collecting remnant fabrics from all those big factories and mills. And we went about creating our own fit system and we tailored our shapes and proportions to bodies and not traditional gender. So our products have kind of been designed to have extra room to accommodate hips without accentuating them. When I first started, we'd go into these wholesale meetings with retailers and we're really lucky. Like we sort of got into, you know, Simon's and we had a, a sales rep who was amazing. And I think she believed in us as people and loved the product and she got us into some boutiques, but it was hard because, you know, they would stick our clothing in the women's section. And I heard it numerous times where like a woman would pick up our shirt and be like, do you have this in a medium for my son? And I'm like, that's not for your son. <laughs> it's for you. <laughs> so it was just a really, it was a weird time. And for me, like I, I, I just really focused on our community and our people. And because we were using fabric remnants, it for one kept all this dead stock fabric out of landfills, but it also enabled us to create these like really small capsule drops in small batches. So if I found a fabric and I only had enough to make 20 pieces, that was okay. And some had a hundred pieces. So 
I knew that if I could get my customers and, you know, if they were like me, their closet would be full of button ups. They wouldn't just buy one, they'd probably buy 10. And that's sort of what happened. I've been reading a lot of reviews of your clothes from customers, and a lot of them seem to get pretty emotional about how they describe that your clothing makes them feel. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that. And is that just like a motivating factor that helps you keep going with this where people are just so jazzed that they finally found something that works for them? 100%. Like I said, this is a personal thing for me. Fashion, it should be the tool to make it easier for people to be themselves. And for whatever reason, it's been exclusive for, for far too long. And like for our customers, like still to this day, we have people that come into like our little sort of store set up and they'll leave in tears because it's like for the first time in their lives, somebody sees them for who they are. It's a really hard thing to describe. For me personally, clothing always had this special place. Um, I always have this memory when I was growing up and my mom took me shopping. And usually at that age, when I was like 10 or 12, and my mom was always constantly fighting with me to put me in dresses. And, you know, it would always end in a battle when I'd come home with my dress off and just in underwear. It was just horrible. <laughs> so I just remember this time when my grandmother took me to the mall and we were in the bay and she just walked past the girls section. We didn't say anything. And she just took me into the boys section. She said, okay, you're going to pick out an outfit today. And I just remember this, oh, this like sense that like she saw me. It wasn't even what I could wear. It was just, she saw me. And I ended up picking out like a bugle boy polo. I still can remember it. And I had a pair of khaki cargo shorts. <laughs> and, and, you know, it was just this sense of euphoria. Still to this day, I can like close my eyes and I can feel those pieces of clothing. So I feel like I'm really lucky because I, I mean, I get to make whatever I need in my wardrobe. You know, I've been doing this 10 years now. Every year I sort of ask our customers, you know, like start with the button up. So every year I kind of ask like, you know, with our limited budget, we want to increase new things. And usually it's like, you know, increased sizes or different fits and lengths and button up, or there's like, you know, one product that sort of like fits out. So like, you know, last year we launched the Chino in 2019, we launched suiting. So usually there's like one product that kind of comes out that everyone wants. And in 2020, uh, I did the same survey again. And the results that came back, it sort of <laughs> put me on a, an even greater journey where it was like I had all these responses of everything from underwear, suiting, shorts, like anything that you can imagine in your wardrobe. And it kind of just like hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, my God, there's so much work to be done, but it's difficult because we can't really progress much farther unless the world around us progresses. And a lot of it, it's not the people. Like there's 1.4 million adults that identify as transgender and there's 1.2 million that identify as non-binary, which in dollars, that's, you know, almost $5 billion in clothing sales annually that is not being addressed in the retail sector and is just falling to the wayside. And to me, there's just this massive issue that needs to be, you know, addressed and dealt with. And so for the last couple of years, that's sort of been my passion is just trying to remedy this, you know, fractured system that we live in. Why do you think it is that way? Like from somebody from outside of fashion, it right. makes sense to me that things don't just have to fall into like, here's the men's half of the store, here's the women's half of the store. But like, it seems like that's the way that it 
is working currently other than obviously brands like yours like what's the problem and how do we fix it other than just potaloo grows bigger and bigger and bigger kind of thing Oh man, I've been trying to <laughs> answer that question for a long time. I mean, I've gone into meetings with buyers and, you know, they use the like technology and our technology just hasn't caught up with it. There's no place to create, you know, uh, a, a section that says in between. Well, you know, (laughs) I've heard every excuse in the book, but I think it starts with the top and them understanding and seeing, you know, that this is a huge sector. This is a huge group of consumers. We are real people um, with real needs. And, you know, I, I think that's one of the beautiful things that's kind of happened since COVID is, you know, we're in this really interesting time in history. It's obviously been some of the most challenging time, but, you know, we find ourselves in this, you know, unpredictable world world that's changing daily. And, you know, we see customers behavior shifting and the demand for inclusive design is growing. And it's funny, it's like, finally, human diversity is being recognized and celebrated across a fuller spectrum. Sadly, not everywhere. We still have some crazy bills being passed. But I'm finally getting back into those boardrooms. And I'm having people sort of listen it's starting to open up and the reason why is i don't know (laughs) i don't know (laughs) there's a lot of things that we do as as humans that i just don't make sense you know (laughs) we're all we're all at the end of the day we're all the same yeah i mean it also speaks to the success of your business not really being much of a surprise part of what you said and you just kind of like skipped over it, but I want to dive back into it because I think it's really important is that you talked about how you talk to your customers, <laughs> which seems like such a no brainer thing, right? And you talked about how you do an annual survey. And it seems like something that when you think about it, or when you hear about other businesses doing it, it's like, wait, obviously, this is who you should be talking to. But I think a lot of companies don't do that, or they don't do that enough, or they don't do that in the right ways. So can you dig in a little bit into this, this annual survey that you do? And how did it come about? How did you first think, oh, maybe we should talk to the people who are giving us money for the clothes that we're making? I think it starts with like, I am my customer. <laughs> At the end of the day, whether Do you fill in your own survey. It, oh, 100%. <laughs> um, awesome. You know, whether they know it or not, I look at them as, as friends and peers in, in a lot of aspects. So to me, it's just, it's a no brainer. It goes hand in hand. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if people like me didn't exist. And so they're in every step of the way. Uh, even like right now, like I'm working on helping build a, a curriculum that can be taken to schools and I mean, I just reached out to a whole bunch of my customers that have been, you know, shopping with us since 2012. And I mean, they're, they're my friends. To me, it's, it's, there is no option the other way. You know, we're, we're all in it together. So either we win together or we lose together. I don't have a business without them. I read somewhere that that's something like 75% of your customers are repeat customers. So obviously what you're doing is working. The other thing too, we're a purpose-driven business, right? Like a lot of people start businesses for different reasons. You know, they're service-based. We're a purpose-based. One investor had told me a long time ago, he asked me, he said, well, what's your, what's your business? Is it a pet rock or is it a pill? And I truly believe, I mean, not a lot of fashion companies can say that they're a pill. A lot of them sort of are that pet, fit into that pet rock category. And I think we're pretty unique that sorry can you what can you can you explain this pet rock and pill thing please i'm super curious 
a lot of fashion companies are a pet rock, right? It's beautiful, it's nice, it's fun to hold, you know, it comes around with you everywhere. Then there's the pill, something that's filling a void, solving a problem. And so I think for us, because we are that pill, we're a part of a community. We're built for them. Yes, it's a business and we need to survive, but in my heart, I'm surviving for them. There's a lot of business decisions I probably could have made. And, you know, I don't make them because I don't want to jeopardize what we have built for this community because it changes lives and it helps people go on with their daily lives and feel okay in their skin. I think the reason your brand isn't interchangeable, the reason why it's 75% repeat customers is because of that purpose. I think it's not just interchangeable, I just need a shirt. It's, I want a shirt that one, obviously fits well, but, but two, is from a business that aligns with how I feel about the world and how I feel the world should be retail sector as it sort of has changed over this last couple decades i'd say even more in this you know the last few years people can buy from whoever they want wherever they want whenever they want they have all the control they get to make those decisions for themselves and i think it's really exciting because it gives you know small businesses and people with great ideas opportunities that they may never have had and it also creates real change right like i think this industry just needs a real wake up and a real change to happen. All these companies market, we're, you know, eco-friendly and we're, you know, the whole pride campaign, you know, every June, <laughs> all the rainbows come out, you know, pun intended, suddenly, you know, major city storefronts are filled with multicolored displays and clothes are like emblazoned with love is love and all these other slogans. And like, you know, <laughs> as soon as the month's over, everything gets put away and like, I think consumers are now waking up being like, wait a second, you're not really an ally. What else do you do? People want to see action. They want to see the real stuff. They can put their money wherever they want. And I think big retailers and people that are making it are being hurt by that. I agree. I, that seems to be a growing trend, especially after, yeah, like you said, the last few years with the pandemic, with um, the Black Lives Matter movement, it seems like people want more than just the the lip service, it has to be more than that. I'm wondering, do you consider yourself a gate crasher or, or an innovator in, in what you do? In a sense, yes. I don't know if I necessarily see a gate and I'm like, I'm going to go crash that. But I just, I do what I think makes sense. I try and like lead with intention. And I mean, even with our other company, Kaposhi, we're a brick and mortar store, which uh, traditionally nobody <laughs> would have opened a brick and mortar store at our level in 2015. But um, my, my business partner at the time, it was sort of a dream of, of theirs. And um, so I wanted to kind of help make that come to life. And, you know, I flipped everything on its head. Um, because, you know, retail in malls, and as I'm sure you're aware, it just isn't what it used to be. Um, you know, so like we threw out sizing, and we threw out individual product pricing. And so I don't know if I'm a gate crasher per se, but I definitely believe in just flipping everything on its head and just forget the rules <laughs> do what works and if it doesn't work try something else really quick how do you find the trust in yourself to make those decisions to flip everything on its head and be like this is what we're going to try I, I always joke around that there's like sort of there's a naiveness that I have always had um and I'm glad I have it because I think it gives me the ability sometimes where you know some people will like think and overthink things and I just sort of do. 
Um, and I've also been really lucky that I've been surrounded by a lot of people who love me, believe in me, and build me up to give me the confidence to try all these <laughs> crazy ideas. I think it's a combination of everything. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's true for, for most entrepreneurs where from the outside, it seems like, oh, well, you just keep having these great ideas and they work out. And it's like, no, you only see the ideas that work out. Yeah. Well, and I think part of it too is you can't have an ego because if you think that your ideas are always right, you will fail because you have to recognize that not all of your ideas are going to work. Most of them are going to be wrong. And when they're wrong, figure it out fast and change. Like that's to me a huge, huge thing. No ego. Hey, I wanted to pause for a quick break. If you're enjoying this season of Call Paul, you'll love a small business story from our friends at Courier, a magazine about working better and living smarter. Rapper and activist Bartholomew Jones clearly remembers the night that Coffee Black was conceived. It was at a Memphis recording studio where the self-proclaimed coffee nerd and his friends were mixing music with pour-overs. There was this cool vibe, he says. We had guitars and trap drums. My wife and kids were there. We'd created this very black experience. But then we ran out of coffee. He went to his local coffee shop, but it was a vibe killer. It was very hipster, very posh. Why can't we have a coffee shop that matches our experience? One where I don't feel like an outsider or have to leave my culture at the door. Bartholomew did what all great entrepreneurs do, fill the gap himself. He launched Coffee Block to address this lack of diversity in the coffee scene. It's an umbrella brand offering everything that the caffeine-loving hip-hop enthusiast could want. From a coffee label, clothing brand, podcast, and of course, music. For the full story, head to couriermedia.com. And if you want more stories like this, you can sign up for their weekly newsletter at couriermedia.com slash email. I guess getting a bit more into the nuts and bolts of Podolu here, what did it look like when you started? So at the time I was working in manufacturing and you know, I would be working with all these big factories and mills and all these companies make these mills overproduce fabric by about 10% in case something goes wrong in their production. They want to be able to have backup so that they can fill all their orders. 90% of the time, nothing goes wrong. And there's all this leftover fabric that essentially just goes to waste. So I started out by uh, working with my factories and mills and just saying, hey, <laughs> whenever you have leftover fabric, like, do you think I could buy it? And like, at, in the beginning, they all like laughed at me like, you want to buy it? No, you, you, here, you have it for free. <laughs> so when we started out, we just used remnant fabrics. And still to this day, uh, that was like another nice promise I made to myself was that I was going to only use upcycled fabrics. And I remember like, in the early days, I'd be like in, you know, meetings with investors or retailers or just telling people our concept. And they'd be like, oh, well, that's not a very sustainable business model. You know, you're going to run out of fabrics. Then what are you going to do? You're going to have to produce thousands and your business is going to go under it. Yada, yada, yada. And still to this day, <laughs> there is no shortage of fabrics and it keeps 
what I do really, really fun because we can like make these really small, fun capsules of product. I collected enough of this fabric in order to make my first production run. And along with my friends, like I was, again, very fortunate. I had a lot of people that kind of believed in me and my idea and wanted to see it come to fruition. So like we held parties and we pre-sold our first batch, um, you know, of a thousand shirts. And then we were able to buy 2000 shirts and we sold that 2000 shirts. We just kept increasing and putting money in. One of my business partners, Aaron McLeod, plays for Team Canada as the keeper. So in 2015, the World Cup, the FIFA World Cup came to Vancouver and Aaron came to me and she was like, Adele, I have the best idea. She's like, we're going to put the team on the pitch in suits. It's never been done in like the history of women's soccer. You know, we always get the men's like hand-me-down track suits and I'm sick of it. Like, you know, all this stuff. And so I was like, Aaron, we're going to do it. So, you know, we went to Canada soccer and we pitched them our idea and they, and they bought in and it was amazing. But part of the deal that comes with these sort of contracts is we as a company had to provide the suits for them at no cost. And in turn, they gave us the right to retail Canada soccer XPDL gear. Well, we had no money. Every dollar that we made, we put right back in when we were making more products with. So we got all this stuff and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know how we're going to do this. <laughs> because I'm sure it takes a lot to get something like that up and running. Oh, totally. It sort of like hit me really fast, but it was such an opportunity and I didn't want to pass up on. So I went ahead and I placed all these orders for product and just, you know, <laughs> was like, I'm going to figure it out. So I went to banks and was turned around every single time and on my last stitch of, of effort, I applied to go on Dragon's Den and we we got to do that. And the week before I was supposed to fly to Toronto, she came and she was like, Adele, I need your help. You remember Howard? He worked with us a long time ago when you worked here. Well, he needs help. He, start, he wants to start a new business. So I went for lunch with them and Howard is this brilliant entrepreneur. He's, you know, owns, I think, 100 plus locations uh, of retail betting stores across Canada. And he had retired and had this opportunity in this market to build something for the like Gen X boomer. And so I just listened to him and his story and I tried to give him as best of advice as I could. And I told him what I was doing on Dragon's Den. And that night he literally messaged me after our lunch and he said, how much do you need for your production? So I told him and the very next day he said, come to my house. And he literally cut me a check for the amount that I needed. So he's been my partner. And that's why we have the two noble motives. We sort of conglomerated our companies and we do both. And that's noble motives. So he, he came to you wanting advice on the market. And then it ended up being, oh, well, I, I can help you out with this run. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm sure he like probably looked at me and was like, what kind of mess have you got yourself in? Like typical like, entrepreneur running as fast as you can. Like I already started production. I had no idea. I was, you know, going out on a whim that these <laughs> dragons were going to be able to help me. Like, I don't know what I was thinking, but yeah, he definitely came in and helped us in a time that we desperately needed it. So for non-Canadians listening, Dragon's Den is Shark Tank, basically. Like the premise of the show is the same. From watching it, it was like, it seemed like it went well. You did a great job with the pitch. They're all kind of interested to varying degrees. And I was like, this seems like that went pretty well. Yeah. I mean, it's hard, right? Like, again, you got to think like back even in those days, like nobody was getting it. Nobody was understanding the sheer volume of what this industry 
is and is going to be. It's coming. We will not be a binary fashion system for long. <laughs> if I have my way. <laughs> so I guess I'm wondering, do you have any thoughts on how you've intentionally built out community and or how you talk to your community via social? We just got product into as many hands as we possibly could and authentic hands. So like people who truly were like, oh my God, I need this. Like, this is going to change my life. Have fun. <laughs> what do you want? How many shirts? And then, I mean, obviously social media has changed drastically over the last few years and it's now more pay to play model. And like we started to dabble into it and we've hired a company out of the U.S. to sort of help us with it. It's just authentic. I mean, we get emails and we get messages and we get DMs from customers all the time. And um, I mean, I personally am still a part of like every aspect of it. It was actually at a party for the first time in a long time. And there was somebody at this event that was wearing a PDL shirt and they had no idea who I was, but I immediately went up to them and I was like, oh my God, thank God you're here. <laughs> I love your shirt. <laughs> and it was like, I had this camaraderie, you know, in the room and it was like seeing somebody that like, again, saw me and as uncomfortable as, you know, as I was, it was like, I had a friend with me. And I, I think that's, um, I think that's part of the, our secret sauce with PDL is like, we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're a community. How do you think about other people entering the market, whether it's like a, a big company who's like, I can make more money if I have non-binary clothes, or if it's just other smaller businesses that are like, well, we want to serve this market as well. Like, how do you see the market growing? And then I guess the competition as the market is growing. It's been a little bit frustrating, if I'm being honest. Like a lot of retailers, I'd say over the last two years, like you've seen, you know, H&M and Zara and all these people come up with like unisex and gender neutral. And really, truly, it's just a men's sweatsuit and they photograph it on uh, a cis woman and you know call it call it gender neutral and you know it that isn't that isn't what we're doing and that isn't what the market is I mean of course that is a, a part of it and that, you know there are folks that do enjoy that type of dressing and that will always exist to some degree but like what I'm talking about is something even bigger and you know, when you talk about competition, like, or I welcome it, like, it's, to me, it's not competition, like, it's, I, I just want to further this, this industry, any of the brands that sort of cater to this, uh, you know, D to C, I, I reached out to all of them, and we created a collective, and we try and meet, you know, at least once a month, and we all kind of share tips and help each other out. And, you know, all of us are individually trying to get in front of retailers and tell our story and explain our case. And it's great, because we are getting in front of these boardrooms, and we are, you know, having people listen to us. And I think what it comes down to with a lot of these companies is they need to be involving the community and the brands. That's where a lot of them are going wrong at this moment is they're not they're not listening they're 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 seeing and then they're reacting and they're not doing it in the right way it's really getting people from this community involved from the photography to the you know people in the design room last year i i, I worked with amazon they featured us as like one of their small businesses and kind of did like a spotlight on us and part of that was we got 25,000 to sort of do whatever we wanted with it and I decided to create a bursary for a fashion school so we can actually start educating you know designers 
on these new fit systems, things that aren't traditionally how they've been done towards the binary, like mentorship that goes along with that. So I welcome it. I want as much competition to come out <laughs> as possible. It's a smart way to to think about it. And I've kind of always felt the same where it like direct competitors, you tend to have more in common with than anybody else in the market. So why would you want to consider them enemies when they don't actually have to be? And it seems, especially in your case, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's all kind of working towards the same goal of just being more inclusive to suit more people in the market. Yeah, totally. I've got to work with some really amazing people and some really amazing companies that were my competitors, like Wild Thing. Uh, they're a based, a Portland based company. And, you know, when I, when I first saw them, I, I remember my friend had sent me like a promotional video and there were two, um, ex executives that left Nike and started this like tomboy brand. And it was like eerie how similar and we were thinking, and, you know, at first I was like, Oh no, like I'm, I'm too late and everyone's going to love their stuff and not me. And, I, and it took me like five seconds. And I was like, stop, what are you thinking? This is the best thing that could have happened. Like, finally, like your idea is validated. What we're onto something. Now you have somebody else that you could like bounce ideas off of. And I, I wrote Emma, um, who's the CEO. I wrote her this email. I just said, Hey, you know, I'm doing kind of something similar and looks like we are kind of aligned, you know, would love to meet. And like, Within five minutes, I had an email back and she's like, come to Portland, let's get dinner. And we built this phenomenal friendship. And, you know, like I helped them build their <laughs> product program, like from scratch. And I like to think it sort of helped them kind of get their footing down and get going. And, and me as well, they helped me with marketing. I knew nothing about marketing and, you know, they put our shirts on some amazing people that got our name out there and, it's, you know, it's great. I, I I love it. How would you define success of the business? Do you feel like you're a success now? I, I don't know. Maybe you can relate to this too. But like, <laughs> I remember when I was like younger and you, you'd always think like, oh, when I get to this thing, then I'm going to be successful. When I get to this, then I'm going to be there. And I feel like I, I like hit these milestones. I'm like, hmm, okay, well, there's still so much more to do. I don't know if it, I like would say that I'm successful, but I think that I'm really lucky because I I love what I do. Um, I feel really passionate about what I do, and I get to be surrounded by a lot of people who like to do it with me too. That, in a sense, is success. I mean, it sounds like success to me. What advice do you have for people? who are either trying to get into this non-binary fashion world or I guess even more generally getting into a space that maybe doesn't exist if you have an idea just do it you don't have to spend a lot of money and you don't need to necessarily like make it big right away but just in little steps as you can take them just start I actually spoke to a, a group of students last night and I, I was listening to like a lot of their different ideas. And, you know, I think as, as humans, we doubt ourselves a lot, a lot, but there's no difference from me and you and everyone else in between, right? The difference is just doing and not doing. And, you know, being an entrepreneur isn't for everybody and that's okay. That's what makes the world go around, but doing what makes you feel happy and being true and authentic to yourself, like, and listening to yourself, that's the important part. Yeah. What's next? 
for Potaloo. Are there things that you can talk about that you're working on or is there like a next step for the business right now? I've been like on this personal journey to reimagine what it could be, you know, and I've started like working in like the education sector to try and, you know, build it from the ground up. And I mean, I like, I can recognize my privilege that I'm having these conversations and people are like listening. And to me, it's a modest sign that we are like one step closer to change and, you know, hopefully can be a signal to this community that in like a future not too far away, you know, we can all feel safe and comfortable and welcomed in retail spaces. I think I'm just going to keep doing everything I can to do the work for the people like me. You know, there's a lot of kids out there and I hope that one day I can build the retail future so that they don't need somebody to take them to the boys section or the girls section and that they just feel seen and represented and to me I'm going to keep fighting that Potaloo is a part of those conversations and that we're pushing it further. Adele took an industry that was very clearly defined into clothing for men and clothing for women and decided that didn't actually include everyone. Their customer testimonials speak to the fact that Podolu saw and recognized a group of people who weren't being represented in clothing and they did something about it. And now Adele is seeing that bigger brands are noticing how useful and practical it is to be inclusive because those brands are knocking on her door for advice and input. It's not a matter of seeing social norms change and then doing the bare minimum to take financial advantage. As small business owners, we can lead the way with our actions and intent, taking a stand with more than just our words or adding a short-lived rainbow to a logo. There's something powerful about creating space for yourself and finding that others really needed that space too. And that makes sense that her business is succeeding because it serves that market really well. Just as she said, their product is clothing, but their purpose is inclusivity. Next week, I'm chatting with the owner of an e-bike shop in Whitestown, Indiana. I hope you'll come along for the ride. Whee! Call Paul is a MailChimp original podcast. The show is made possible with the help of the whole amazing team. Julie Douglas, Ruth Eddy, Sasha Brown, Tierra Darnell, Kaida Jesus, and Zoe Culkin. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast player so you can check out all of our other episodes and seasons. Oh, and if you want more awesome podcasts, go to MailChimp.com slash presents. Some things leave you guessing, like... Which orange came first, the color or the fruit? Or if you're waiting for the waiter, aren't you the waiter? And why do feet smell, yet noses run? But you know what doesn't leave you guessing? MailChimp. While some platforms only tell you how your emails are performing, 
MailChimp analyzes data from billions of emails to offer up personalized recommendations for how to improve things, like subject lines, audience targeting, and more. Guess less and sell more with the number one email marketing and automation brand, Intuit MailChimp. Get started today at MailChimp.com. Based on competitor brands' publicly available data on worldwide numbers of customers in 2021 and 2022.